Hey loves, happy Friday. I'm back with another episode of A Cup of Culture podcast. And today, our conversation is centered around healing, specifically in the context of chronic illness. For those of you who, like me, are not that well-versed in medical jargon, chronic illnesses in the medical community are defined as conditions that often last for more than three months and require ongoing medical attention. However, in my conversation with Sarah Harvey, who is a chronic illness healer and life coach, she explains how this often misunderstood term really leaves out a very important piece, and that is psychosomatic work, meaning illnesses that are manifested as a result of inner trauma. Speaking from her own experience of being diagnosed with over 10 plus chronic illnesses, Sarah shares how chronic symptoms can negatively impact our relationships and draws on correlations between chronic illnesses and people-pleasing. And if you already haven't figured this out about me, I'm a big people-pleaser, so her advice is something that I needed to hear for myself too. So without stealing our thunder, let's dive right in. What color are you feeling today? Mm, I'm feeling yellow. I'm so happy you chose that one. It's also one of my favorite colors. <laughs> yeah, also yellow, feeling sunny, feeling bright, feeling good. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I guess to kind of establish context for our listeners, can you talk a little bit about your background, where you're from, and what do you do? I'm from England, the UK, and I now live in Bali. I've been here for two years. So what I do is I help women who are healing chronic illness and have been on this long healing journey and have tried many things and have done the detoxes and have done the protocols and are still finding that their body is still hypersensitive and they're still, if they, let's say, go for a walk, they'd be flaring for three weeks afterwards in pain and agony, which tells us that there's a missing piece here and there's trauma work to do and disconnection from maybe life purpose and passion and fulfillment. And that's where I come in as a healer and a life coach. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I guess right off the bat, the first question that comes to mind is what does chronic illness mean and what are the different forms it can take in our everyday lives? So for me, the term chronic, I always see it with these like quote marks because it's chronic. It has two definitions. There's the first one, which is what we're often told in the doctor's appointment. So it's incurable, it's persistent, it's been going on for more than three, six months. It doesn't go away. It's sort of spontaneous. It's like there's no pattern. It's misunderstood in the medical community. Or it's very well understood, like diabetes, cancer, dementia. These are chronic illnesses, but they are just grouped together as incurable and not at all related to the inner work or our psychosomatic body or our energetics. It's just one of those things that happens. So that's one definition. Then the other definition that I use is that a chronic symptom, a diagnosis and illness, really is a way for the body to express itself because we are not hearing it ultimately. 
we are ignoring it and there are misalignments in our life. There are things that we are choosing that make us sick and unhappy. And there's a lot of deep programming and conditioning that keeps us in this unhappiness. And the symptom is like almost our inner child, we could say, throwing a really big tantrum. And we keep ignoring it and we keep ignoring it and it gets louder. And now it's a rash all over the body. Now it's a chronic migraine and now it's IBS. And now it's, and then it gets diagnosed again, again, again. Now it's Lyme disease and so on and so forth until like me, I had a list of 10 plus so-called chronic incurable illnesses, all of which I healed. So when thinking about the term chronic illness or chronic pain, what do you think are some of the preconceived notions or stigmas that are associated with that term? One is that if I say you're a born healer who manifested chronic illness, like you manifested it, the stigma is also you're saying it's my fault. And this is a big thing I work through with my clients because there's a big difference between it's my personal responsibility to heal myself and be better and fulfill my passion and purpose and reparent myself and undo everything I was told when I was younger, etc. And it's all my fault. I'm so bad. I didn't do this enough. I didn't do that good enough. You know, I'm sick because I'm lazy. I'm not saying that. You know, I'm not saying anybody's lazy or anything like that when I say it's your personal responsibility. Other ones are to do with people not knowing how when they start to move away from their old life and their chronic illness life, they start to feel better and they're starting to get better. But then their family and friends will say, oh, so you're not sick anymore. But actually, they are still symptomatic and they still need some love and support like we all do. They still have needs. They still maybe are taking medication. They're still waking up with some symptoms. And so it's really hard for a lot of my clients at the beginning of this work to leave behind the old life and to help people along the way understand the process that they're going through. Because it can be chronic. It can be lifelong. All the ones I healed, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, POTS, IBS, they can be lifelong, no doubt about it. And the person who has it for 30, 40, 50 years, I'm not saying it's her or his fault. And I'm not saying they're not doing something well enough or they're not self-aware enough or they're wrong somehow. Because I also believe in destiny, in everything happens for a reason, that kind of mindset, law of attraction. So ultimately, I do believe that if we need to be sick, we will be sick. I'm actually curious to know, were there any pivotal moments in your life that kind of drove you to this kind of work? Well, being sick, (laughs) being sick. But the pivotal moment was I was sick for about six, seven years. And I thought, you know what, there's got to be more. There's got to be something else. And growing up well, being in the UK, Europe, Western healthcare system, there's just no options, even if you have money. The alternative healthcare system is there, but again, it's almost the same as allopathic Western medicine. It's just reformatted. So instead of medication, it's take these herbs and supplements and they're really expensive or it's go crazy with the Pilates and the things. And it's just like same, same, but different. So my pivotal moment was I traveled to India and I started to find even to just be around people who said, who talked about healing, who talked about the fact that these are very modern diagnosis names. Humans have been healing for 5,000 years. I learned about Ayurveda. I learned about yoga, but not asana stretching and Ayurveda, like what herbs and supplements to take. I was curious about the philosophy, about the fact that we can heal. So I was in a bookshop and I found a book that was all pink and yellow. And I was like, what's this? And I had a look and it was called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. And because I was in India, I wasn't really interested in Western 
personal growth books. I was interested in ancient Eastern medicine, but I thought I'll give it a go. I feel like I'm being called to this book for some reason. And I read it in about three days front to back. And then I spent good six months like going through it and really applying it. And it did change my life. I mean, I did not heal straight away because I had a lot of blocks and a lot of resentment. And I held on for a long time to my old sick life because it was keeping me safe from the life that I have now in a lot of ways. I'm so excited to hear about your experience in India. You know, having grown up in India, a lot of our culture really focuses on like herbs and like natural medicine and how healing works in that kind of space. And then when I moved to the States and well, now I'm in Canada, I feel like you have a little cough and then you're immediately popping pills and trying to treat yourself. And I remember, you know, growing up, my grandma or my mom would like make some kind of like medicine that involved a lot of herbs and it would just treat me in a natural way. And I kind of miss that, <laughs> you know, I don't have access to that. But I could resonate with a lot of what you said in terms of healing in a different space other than the Western hemisphere, I should say. I know I'm sure it's hard to talk about how your life was back when you were sick but can you maybe dive a little bit on like what were some of the challenges you experienced having been sick a big challenge was the isolation and the loneliness of being sick being left behind while everybody else is moving on with their life not feeling like I could work more but I needed the money so I would work more so then I need more medication in order to work more like painkillers and stuff like that and then the pushback from working, spending every weekend recovering, spending holidays in bed. I would also say the constant fatigue. I mean, one of the diagnoses was chronic fatigue syndrome, but any chronic illness tends to come with fatigue because the soul is just so famined. It's just so exhausted. So you wake up exhausted. I didn't have a zest for anything. I was finding joy in things here and there, but I was depressed, certainly. And just the fear of being sick. So a symptom comes up. Oh my God, what's this? What is it doing? Why is it going? I need to go and see the doctor. All of that, that whole bubble, that whole paradigm, we could say I was real stuck in that. And how did you find strength in those moments when you were feeling really low and really sick? So after that trip to India, yoga practice became a must for me and it took on different forms. But as long as I rolled out my mat and I just sat on there, even if I just did this and I just hugged myself and I just said something kind to myself, it didn't have to be a full on breath work or a full on practice. And then for me, that's why I'm a healer and a life coach, getting my life together to any degree possible. So even in those lowest moments, even if I could think about one thing that I'm excited about creating or bringing to this world and what five steps need to happen in order for that to happen. And that's when I birthed my YouTube channel. And I was really sick, creating some really gentle yoga classes. Took me like a week just to film one, but that gave me something. You know, one of the terms that you mentioned earlier is chronic fatigue syndrome. And right now, one of the ways it kind of manifests, or at least I see manifest in our culture, is this idea of pleasing people. How it's so difficult to kind of say no and like set boundaries. What are some root causes that can maybe get someone to become a person who is a people pleaser? And how can one navigate through those feelings? 
Mm, yeah, such a juicy, full, deep question. I love it. So my philosophy is that a symptom comes up to fulfill a need or to validate a core belief that we have about ourselves already. So let's say there's somebody with chronic fatigue and they also find that they have difficulty saying no to people and they have difficulty setting boundaries. They have difficulty upsetting other people with their own things that they need to do. They take on a lot. And so they burn out and crash and develop chronic fatigue syndrome. And that might not be chronic fatigue syndrome. That might be fatigue related to thyroid disorder, fatigue related to something else. So if you're listening and you're resonating with that, then the core stuff inside people pleasing is definitely that wounding that occurred earlier on in life, probably in childhood, where we had to attune to the other person and ensure that their needs were met and that their nervous system was regulated because there could be a threat to us if not. So we would please. So maybe we performed and we were the good girl or boy as a manifestation of people pleasing. Maybe we never said no to things and also to friends and partners and sex comes into it. Maybe we're not saying no sexually and we're giving ourselves away in misaligned relationships. So there's definitely a core wounding. If we're an adult who is people pleasing and we're noticing there's a theme, it's not just one relationship. It's like, oh, okay, I do that a lot. This is where we cultivate self-awareness, right? Which is the key to self-mastery and self-healing. The self-awareness to notice that we're behaving in certain ways and that all of our behaviors are strategies that we learn somewhere, probably in childhood. And how do you think this idea of people pleasing can actually affect relationships in a negative way? So when we're people pleasing in our partnership or friendship, we're not being totally ourselves. We're not being totally authentic. So what happens is, and Jason Gaddis, a renowned psychotherapist, calls this a core split, which creates anxiety and depression, which as we know then creates nervous system dysregulation, which goes on to create chronic illnesses. So we've got this core split. We've got the strategic self, that's what we've learned to people please, not say no. And why are we doing that? Because, well, if maybe we'll hurt them. Well, then what? We'll have to face something. There's something that we don't want to face, which means we're not totally free, which is a huge pressure. How that relates to friendship and relationships is that it's going to leak out in passive aggressive remarks, in like, snapping at them because be like so exhausted that you've been helping them over it maybe you've been lending them money over and over again continuously not saying no to things and eventually you might snap and just be like I've been holding on to this resentment for six years in this friendship and I can't take it anymore and you blow up so there's a way to accommodate each other's needs where it's win-win it's not Well, you're the one who has to self-sacrifice and self-abandon because that's your pattern and that's what you do. It doesn't have to be like that anymore. That's actually a need to martyring oneself for the good of others. We don't have to live our life like that. Thank you for sharing that. Before we get into the point where we are fully exhausted and are going to blow up, what do you think are some key questions that we need to ask ourselves so we catch ourselves before getting to that extreme exhaustion state? 
So I love to just pop a hand on the heart and the stomach and to tune into ourselves and say, so let's say somebody's asked you for something. Hey, do you mind doing this for me? And you can just tune in. First, you can say to them, I'll get back to you. And then you, when you've got time and space, you tune into yourself and you can say, simple question, is this a full body yes for me? Because if it's not a full yes, it's a no. And if it's, but I feel obliged, but I have to, but they don't have anyone else, this is over-functioning and caretaking. This is imagining that they are so incapable that you have to come in, again, martyring yourself, that there's no one else that could do it. And that's just not true. The truth is they're fully resourced. They can find anyone else to do it for them and help them. And if they are that kind of needy person that's always like that, they will go and find someone else. So your duty is to tune in with you. If it's not a yes, you communicate that it's not a yes and you deal with the backlash that might come from setting a boundary with someone who has become comfortable with your people pleasing. Basically what I'm saying is your people pleasing is the glue that keeps you and this person together and they're not gonna like it when you start to change, when you start to create self-worth and you start to voice you know, what you're available for and what you're not available for anymore. If your boss always expects you to do extra hours unpaid and you're going to voice, I'm not actually available for that anymore. It's going to change the relationship and may, may also end the relationship in a lot of cases. Actually, I was uh, wondering, like to your example about, let's say if your boss asks you to work extra hours and you don't really have the capacity. I was wondering if we can do like a little role play of like me asking you that question and how would you kind of respond to me? Yeah, this is fantastic practice. Okay, awesome. Well, hey, Sarah, we have this deadline coming up for this project. I was wondering if you can just work some extra hours to get this assignment done so that we can submit it to our supervisor. Hey, yeah, thank you for bringing that up to my attention. So I will first have to check my schedule and check what aligns for me. And just so you're aware and that you have time to hire somebody else or delegate to somebody else if you need to, it's probably unlikely that I'm going to be able to take this on. But I will get back to you and let you know. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> that was actually really positive way of receiving that. I feel like oftentimes we don't try because we get held back of the backlash that may come out of it. But thank you for sharing yeah. that strategy. It's very positive and at no point I felt like offended by what you said. Exactly, because what can happen is somebody who's been people pleasing for so long goes 360 and then is like, no, and then very avoidant and starts to push back and push away or complain or say, you've already asked me to do that three times. I can't take any more and I'm sick. That's where symptoms come in. Notice how I didn't give you any excuses. And I didn't devalue myself in any way. I mean, I went down the example of I need to check my schedule, but let's say I had already checked and now you're coming back to me again and you're saying, okay, so have you checked and can you do it? I don't need any excuse. I don't need chronic symptoms to speak for me. I don't need to say, oh, but then, you know, this happened and my husband and a lot of people do this. They go into story mode, story, story, story. That's people pleasing and over-functioning. Just say directly, I hear you, I hear your request of what you're asking me to do. It doesn't work for me. It's not going to align this time. It's out of my capacity. It's not a yes for me. It's a no. Or I will and I won't are much more effective. I won't be doing that this time. 
Yeah, and one of the other things that I noticed from your response was that how it broke down the piece of hierarchy that may exist in like certain workplace cultures where you feel hesitant to say no because somebody holds a higher position maybe, but the way it kind of responded to it, it created a a space and a landing of equality and equity in the workplace. So thank you for setting that up. And I love how that links with power play in relationships. So if we're talking about an intimate relationship, for example, there can be this toxic power dynamic going on. And then the people pleaser is often the codependent and the anxiously attached and needs the connection for their survival. And the other one who is the one with this request who might become very upset or even rageful if you don't fulfill that request for them is, you know, on the complete opposite side to that. And so what has happened now is there's a trauma bond. So I've also come to learn that you offer the Freedom and Healing Workshop. Can you talk a bit about what the workshop is about? What are some of the topics that you cover with your clients? Quick summary, Freedom and Healing is a four-month intensive advanced coaching program, and it includes hundreds of separate workshops. So the kinds of topics we learn in Freedom and Healing are, first of all, just the overarching truth in the body's ability to heal and rewiring everything that says, but we can't, but it's chronic, but it's Lyme, but it's this, but it's that. Firm belief in healing, which is then going to move into other topics we talk about in Freedom and Healing, like becoming your own healer, becoming a healer. I help women in spiritual business coaching. So they heal themselves and then they offer their medicine to the world in some capacity. So I work with Reiki practitioners, yoga teachers, tarot card readers, coaches, who are healing chronic illnesses and turning that into their medicine. That's their specific medicine, you know, really getting niched in. What's the specific lesson that you learn in your chronic illness? Maybe people pleasing and now you're a people pleasing expert, right? Something like that. Other topics, there's a huge module in yoga therapy because yoga, like I told you, going to India was so transformative for me. And there's also modules in the emotional releasing. So we got to process that shame, that guilt, that resentment, that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, the procrastinating, the taking on too many obligations and getting overwhelmed. We got to process all those emotions because those emotions are the energy that's manifesting in symptoms, which by the way, are not only chronic pain symptoms. Symptoms can be being in debt all the time, always dating some kind of narcissist person, always losing everything, like just patterns are chronic symptoms. So in your line of work, what does healing look like? The three steps are, first of all, there's a deep revealing process. Why am I the way that I am and why am I behaving in these ways and why are these symptoms here? So we're going to learn about the body mind. For example, it could be an acute symptom like a UTI. I had one last week. So the first step revealing, what are you here to tell me? It's not just luck and coincidences. Healers don't subscribe to those terms because it's not, it's all connected. The second step is reconnecting, reconnecting to which part of ourselves we abandoned, which then gave rise to a symptom, reconnecting to our inner child healing, and then somatic work. So that could look like shaking, dancing, anger releases, yoga, movement, creativity, art, expression. And then step three is actually realigning our life. So a lot of people get stuck in the healing world in step one 
and they're analyzing and they're thinking and they're reflecting and they're brain rewiring, but they're not actually changing their life. So with this acute UTI that came up last week, there's a specific part of my life that got to change and I changed it quite radically. And the UTI went away a few days later. And this is what I mean about realigning our life for healing. Something's not working and that's why we're manifesting a symptom or something is working, but there's fear there. A lot of my clients will notice symptoms come up as they get big and loud on social media and they start offering their services as healers or they start getting seen out there or they go on a date for the first time and it's been years and they'll say, oh, does that mean that I'm doing something wrong? No, not necessarily. It can also mean that your inner child's totally afraid because this is a new change and you're pulling yourself to this new life that you're creating for yourself and it's a little bit scary. So that's what healing looks like, this constant attuning to the priority that is living the life that you want. And if there's any part of your life that is not the life that you want, then you cannot heal and stay in your excuses anymore. Even in the pandemic, there's people who made stuff happen, moved abroad, even if technically they couldn't, they found a way, like people find a way, there's always a way. And this is the solution mindset that a healer has compared to when I was a victim in chronic illness. You know, as I'm thinking about your words on realigning our lives, one of the phrases that comes to mind is this, you can't pour from an empty cup. I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've heard of that. Why do you think it's important to pour our cup first before we offer help to someone? We have to fill up our own cup first because we will just repeat that pattern that we've been doing. So we can take stock, we can pause for a moment and say, okay, what I've been doing hasn't been working, right? (laughs) Giving out constantly without filling myself up means I get five hours of sleep, I wake up with the jitters, I need coffee to get through the day, I have a migraine, it's not working, right? So actually what we need to learn here is to be selfish. And here's an interesting thing, chronic illness is a way that we've been trying to do that. Because when we're chronically sick, we can get a little selfish because we can get a little like, I can't, I'm sick or you need to change. You know, I remember telling my friends like there were certain requirements that they had to provide this certain food or I wouldn't go or they had to meet at the specific time or I wouldn't be able to. You know, I'm sorry if that triggers anybody listening, but I'm speaking from personal experience that I was trying to affirm myself and I was trying to do the things I now do freely without chronic illness. But I was so reliant on chronic illness because I wasn't filling up my cup. I thought I was with binging Netflix and sleeping in and, you know, avoiding my life. I thought that was cup filling. And this is such an important topic because it gets masqueraded as self-care. And also, are we using self-care as another excuse to avoid the work? Are we using self-care as another excuse to not show up, to not be big, to not be bold, to not reach our goals, to not do all the things that we want to do? Because filling up our cup is not just doing, quote, nothing. Filling up our cup can also be, okay, I'm really feeling tired today. So I'm going to on purposely drive out to the mountain and go for a little walk because I need to fill up my cup and nature fills up my cup, right? Rather than I'm feeling tired, so I'm going to cancel everything and do nothing. That maybe isn't filling up our cup. Kind of along those lines, I'm curious to know if I were to ask you, what would you say are maybe... Three key strategies for setting healthy boundaries for yourself and setting healthy boundaries for when you don't have the capacity to give. 
I recommend setting a boundary with yourself, a commitment on how you're going to use your time and your boundaries will, you know, you have to hold yourself to it. So some of mine are, I will get up for sunrise every morning. And the boundary I have then, to give you some examples, would be I'm not available for that late night party the night before. I'm not available for calling someone at three in the morning because they need me and it's a, quote, crisis. I'm not available because I have my commitment. Other boundaries with yourself, just again, more lifestyle stuff. I'm not going to spend three hours a day on Instagram or Netflix. So again, just reparenting yourself because how you treat yourself is a mirror reflection of how you're going to allow someone else to treat you. So if you allow yourself to waste time and procrastinate or treat yourself poorly or you're nasty to yourself, you are basically saying to the other people, I'm open for you to treat me like that. In regards to boundaries with other people, it's first listening to what they're saying and validating it for them. That makes sense. That makes sense that you're asking me for that or that you need that and that you need me to help you with X, Y, Z or whatever the context is. Here's an example, a clingy friend who always needs you, you know, to help them with something. Hey, love, you know, I so appreciate you reaching out with me and I love our friendship dearly. And you've been such a support for me as well. And I noticed that you come to me with these big, long voice messages, these big, long texts. And I will read them and respond to them because I love you. And with this amount of messages, it's going to take me probably one to two weeks, my clients come first. That's something I would say, for example, because I work with clients who pay to WhatsApp me. <laughs> so then I would say something like, however, if this is something you really want to work with together, let's actually make an appointment so that I know, okay, I'm going to meet you and we're going to talk about this area of your life and I can support you rather than you coming to me and you kind of attacking me with all of your needs. I feel overwhelmed. So setting a boundary like that with a loved one, we're really trying hard not to blame them in any way or accuse them. We're trying to just say, I feel overwhelmed. I feel swamped. I feel like disrespected, maybe, if you've got a friend who's always taking, taking, taking. And coming from your heart like that means that it shouldn't be a conflict. It should just be, I feel this. Then they hear it and understand it and take it on and go and find someone else to sort their thing out with. Or if there's backlash, we just say again, yeah, I hear you. And that makes sense that you're feeling upset at my boundary. And it's my boundary. And, you know, I guess that's also from my personal experience. Sometimes when I do really need to set that boundary and then I don't, I'm often filled with this feeling of like guilt and shame. And I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people. How do you navigate those feelings in the sense that you don't basically internalize it? and exhaust yourself. The first part would be before setting that boundary to spend time alone with ourselves in processing, like, is this about them and their action? Or is this tied to some kind of other more dramatic past memory where I was violated, where I was used, where I was hurt, had boundaries crossed? And maybe what I'm really feeling is that pain. And I don't want to project that pain onto this friend. So then we set the boundary and we're polite and we just explain that we're not available for that anymore. Then they have whatever their experience back is and we're feeling this guilt and shame. So it would be, first of all, 
to see if there can be repairing between the two of you that's just like, I know that you're upset at my boundary and I still value this friendship and that the two of you can be amicable through it. It's going to help the guilt and shame and voicing it. This is you telling them, thank you for sharing with me that you're so hurt by my boundary. I want to share back with you that I'm really hurt that you're not honoring my boundary. I feel really disrespected. So again, it's like you're still honoring and owning or I'm noticing I feel really guilty and I don't want to hold on to it anymore. You're not blaming them for making you feel guilty. They didn't make you feel anything. They triggered something in us that was already there. So a practical tool for guilt and shame would be shame specifically is saying I'm a bad person, right? So it would be exploring that like, no, I'm not a bad person. I set a boundary and that boundary is jarring to the other person who got used to me being a certain way. The point is their reactions aren't mine to hold. They're not my responsibility to caretake. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing those tips and strategies. I was taking mental notes of how I want to proceed now for setting the boundaries that I want to in my everyday life. Well, that's kind of almost is like a beautiful wrap to our conversation. But before we get to the very end of the podcast, we do a little fill in the blanks. And it goes, I am a rock star and my superpower is... I'm a rock star and my superpower is tearing down old paradigms that keep us from our potential. You know, it's easy for me to fall into old habits, so here it goes. If you enjoyed listening to our conversation, Please love and follow the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform and join our Instagram community at herpov underscore mag. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next one. Until then, toodles!